This morning, uh, the title of the message is Build Your House on the Rock, How to Weather the Coming Storms. And I don't have to be here to tell you that there's a storm on the horizon, right? Uh, You know, I really love thunderstorms. uh, With one thing, as long as I'm in a secure place when they hit. Um, I think storms are exciting, but I have two very vivid memories of being terribly afraid uh, when storms appeared on, on the horizon. One was here at summer camp uh, when I was like, I think elementary, elementary age. And I remember standing down at the bottom of the hill, you know where the cabins were. And it was the afternoon on a warm June afternoon. And uh, I was standing down by the fellowship building and looked over Pastor Leroy's house and all of a sudden I saw these big purple black clouds moving in. And I don't know if there might have been some kind of weather warning too. And this just hit me. I'm from Indiana. We have tornadoes there, but, but it just hit me in my head. Wait a minute. This is Missouri. We're in Tornado Alley. And it's just this fear because, you know, my, resident, my temporary residence that week was this little cabin uh, stood up on cinder blocks, you know. And uh, I don't know. You know, I was a kid and just uh, really afraid. I I remember another time when I was an adult. We had some kind of family reunion at a lake in Indiana. And uh, I went out for a a morning, uh, I think it was a rowboat, a canoe or a rowboat. I was by myself paddling or rowing. And uh, I get out to the middle of the lake and all of a sudden, super fast, the clouds turn dark. And and then there's lightning bolts coming down. Uh, you know, in, in the distance, but this is moving really fast. So I was like, I got to turn around and I'm rowing and rowing. You know, you have a dream and you can't, your, your feet won't move and stuff. And well, I'm trying to get back to shore before this thing um, hits. You know, I'm out on the water and um, it was scary. I made it, made it back fine, but um, it, you know, this storm lover turns out to be quite a sissy uh, when without sturdy shelter or being on solid ground. Amen? And, uh, and you know, like I said, you don't have to be a meteorologist to, in 2020 to recognize that there's a significant storm on the horizon, horizon both in the United States and around the world, Right? And, um, you know, there's COVID-19, and it's kind of an invisible enemy and an unpredictable enemy. Uh, There's political unrest, racial unrest. There's immorality, dangerous political and social agendas, violence. Those things, we see those gaining wide acceptance among people, and it's scary. And... uh, we also, from the church, we hear uh, prophetic messages that seem from credible people saying, you know, there's a, sh- there's a shaking going to happen, and we've already seen some of it. Um, you know, no matter which side wins the presidential election, uh, there seems that trouble, some kind of trouble, will be imminent, and uh, the future seems uncertain. Uh, a shaking has started, and more is coming. We can tell that from the Bible, right? Uh, 
there's a storm on the horizon. So the question, my question this morning is, how should God's people prepare for what's coming? Right? Because storms can be exciting. Storms can also be fearful. But God has not left us um, to alone, and he's not wanting us to fear. So how do we prepare? Now, certain preparations might be wise. Uh, I'm not cons- I don't consider myself a prepper, but um, in the last month, I've bought some extra dry and canned goods from the grocery store and the store up in our pantry uh, to keep on hand for us, but also to share with neighbors in case it becomes difficult to buy food uh, at some point. Um, here at church, we're making plans to put, put a, a hand pump on that well down the hill so that if the county water or the power goes out, uh, we can still have access to fresh water here, um, drinking water. And, uh, you know, we're making contingency plans. Like if the power were to go out, we've got an electric furnace up at our house. Uh, what we could do to keep warm in winter weather if, if our furnace is not able to come on. Um, I'm thinking about those things, you know. And if God is telling his people to brace ourselves and to take shelter, um, these aren't bad ideas, right? But I also am convinced of this. Just by themselves, they're inadequate protection. Uh, And physical preparations will not protect us from some of the greatest dangers that we will face in the future, you know. Greater than the lack of food would be the, um, the easy, easiness of being deceived in this climate that we live in, you know. I think our greatest enemy is, is deception in these times. Um, anyway, even some of the physical things, like I can't physically store up all the food I need for if, if a long-term disaster hits. Uh, we're going to need to depend on the Lord. Uh, there's an old hymn chorus that reminds us of how God's people weather storms, though. I'm not going to sing the whole verse, but this one. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Now, so Christ is the solid rock, and we stand on him, right? And uh, what does it say? Which other ground is sinking sand? Most, most other ground? All other ground is sinking sand. Like we cannot put our hope and our trust in anything but Christ ultimately, right? And uh, we just got a word. From Dave just gave that word that he knows our needs. His agape love. Where's Dave? You know, he does know our needs. And I think that was... Uh, that was a word that really fits with, with what we're looking at this morning. Um, so Jesus spoke specifically about how wise people should prepare and take shelter in the storms of life, right? It was that passage where he said, um, stock up food and buy gun." No. I'm sorry. Matt, uh, we just finished the book of Matthew, right? There's a lot of, in Matthew. Matthew seven twenty four to 27. Jesus said this, this is at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Notice, what did he say? Here's the words of mine and puts them into practice. That's the key in the verse. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Uh, we don't want to be there, right? So uh, here's a question. Why, why did Jesus finish his Sermon on the Mount uh, with this message about putting his words into practice? I think he was very much aware of some of our human tendencies or tendencies of our sinful nature. <clears throat> sinful nature. Um, here's one. Sometimes we mentally agree with teaching or commands, but we fail to actually do them due to different things. Distraction, busyness, uh, sometimes laziness or lack of motivation. Like we, in our head, we believe it, but it doesn't come out in our actions for whatever reason. And um, that, that, I think, is one thing Jesus knows about us. Another one is um, sometimes we believe in a false form of grace that says that actual obedience doesn't matter to God. And I think it's, that's a, that's a com- common false teaching in the church. Uh, we might just call it cheap grace. And it's to say, see, it's every, every deceptive lie is mixed with some truth. You know, grace is, grace is definitely true, and God forgives us of our sins, right? And, and that's the gospel, okay? But cheap grace mixes in the lie that, well, God doesn't care about sin, and sin doesn't matter. And so obedience doesn't matter. And that's far from what Jesus said, okay? Um, that, that teaching is, has spread around in the church a lot, and it's, it's dangerous. And, and that will keep us from obeying Jesus' words and sets us, puts us in a dangerous place. Um, another thing Jesus knows about it is sometimes we pick and choose which of his teachings we will believe, and which ones we don't. We ha- sometimes we have our favorites and we have those that we don't like. Um, I'm not very partial when he talks about fasting. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there are, there are other things. And you know, the problem with that is we are setting ourselves up as judge over the word of God and rather than submitting to the word of God, right? We're definitely not uh, living with Jesus as Lord if we are picking and choosing which of his teachings we believe and which we don't. A lot of times we don't say, oh, I don't believe that one. But in practice, it comes out. Um, Another thing is that sometimes we believe that his teachings and commands are not practical solutions to real-world problems. 
You know, we, we think, well, that's, that goes in the spiritual box, but yeah, on Monday morning, I have to step out into real life, and so I'm just going to have to rely on myself or something else besides what Jesus has said. And, and of course, that, that doesn't work. So, you know, when we think about it, our failure to obey Jesus' words is often rooted in a failure to truly believe them. You understand what I'm saying? Like, um, there's a kind of hypocrisy in us that, that we have to often deal with. And Jesus knows that, okay? I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to preach a message that's discouraging. I want to exhort and encourage us this morning. Jesus knows that we often have to deal with a, a kind of hypocrisy where we say we believe something or we say we want to do something, but actually it might be in our head, but it's not getting into our heart. It's not being expressed in our actions. Um, Jesus called us out on this when he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And he said that in the book, in, in Luke chapter 6, and that was right before he said, Luke quoted him about the wise man builds his house on the rock, the one who hears my words and puts them into practice. Um, so Jesus understands that. Uh, when we studied the book of Matthew, we saw that the Sermon on the Mount showed us Jesus uh, as the Messiah King, right? He's up on the mountain that's symbolic of kingship, and now he is uh, giving, teaching his kingdom expectations, right? Uh, I'm going to be asking a lot of questions this morning. Here's one. Do we really believe that Jesus is the king he claims to be? Do we fear his power and authority? I'm going to say these slowly so we can think about them. Do we trust his honesty and goodness? Like, do we believe his love? Do we believe that, that he is good? Do we believe in his power, that he is able? I mean, See, what I'm saying is we probably know all these things in our head, but when it c comes down to it, do we really trust, trust it with our heart, with our life? Are we willing to submit to his will? You know, what does Lord mean? It means the one who's the boss, the one who's in charge, the master, right? Are we willing to submit to his will? Talk is cheap, right? The proof is in our actions, right? Now, again, I'm not condemning here. Um, Jesus, Jesus spoke these things to his disciples, okay? They were mighty men of God, okay? So Jesus wants us to grow, and he loves us. And so this, this is grace speaking, not condemnation. In Proverbs, Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Jesus' words are wisdom, right? You could say, my word, when Jesus says my words, it equals wisdom. And in the book of Proverbs, Jesus 
Jesus is introduced as wisdom personified. He's the personification of wisdom. To truly know him is to fear him. But that fear is a healthy kind of fear, not a fear of like, I don't want to be near him. I don't, I'm afraid of him. But it's a, a deep awe and respect for his power, his goodness, and his authority. It knows him in different roles as creator, as savior, as shepherd, as the judge, and as king, right? Uh, Therefore, the fear of the Lord truly values, truly values God, and it values his presence, uh, his role in our lives, and his work in our lives. Um, the fear of the Lord causes us to really appreciate him, and therefore to trust him. If we appreciate how big he is, how great he is, how awesome he is, that we absolutely need him, can't live without him, that he is so, he's greater than all of our enemies. He is big enough to meet every need. Um, then we can trust him, right? If, he, if we believe how faithful he is, that nothing is too difficult for, for him. Nothing that we have done uh, cannot come under his blood and forgiveness. Nothing that the enemy can do can take us out of his hand, right? He's big, and we appreciate how big he is. Um, our picture of him and our understanding is great. He's big, not small. And that's more, that is correct, right? That's the truth. So out of this godly fear of him comes a desire to know him better and to seek after his precious wisdom more. So, as we think about this gathering storm here in November 2020, um, let's see what, what value wisdom, and I equate that with, with Jesus, putting Jesus' words into practice, that's wisdom, right? What value does wisdom have? Uh, what does it have to say about successfully navigating the storms of life? So we're going to Look at Proverbs 3, uh, a section, Proverbs 3, 13 to 35. I'm going to break it into little parts, and then I'm going to, I'm going to take us back to Jesus' words in Matthew that we've been studying for uh, most of the year. Just little snippets. And um, see, what, what is wisdom saying about navigating the storms that will arise? So, Proverbs 3.13, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. That's better than free health care. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Wow, those are big promises. You know, when, when I uh, 
just in recent months, uh, when I quiet my heart to try to listen to the Holy Spirit and see what he says, very often he's just been saying, dwell, dwell in my promises. And I keep hearing those words, dwell in my promises. This is an, these are awesome promises right here. Um, you know, it's talking about value, the value of wisdom. And, uh, you know, some people say in times like this, you always hear people say, buy gold, you know, Sell, take your savings and buy gold or buy some other kind of uh, valuable possessions. You know, I've heard things about an economic collapse and I wonder, should we take our money and buy things we need now before it evaporates? You know what I mean? And there might be a place for things like that. But um, Jesus is telling us to store up what? Wisdom. Get wisdom. Because wisdom is more precious than uh, profitable than silver, yields better returns than gold, is more precious than rubies. It's going to protect your life, long life, peace, uh, uh, blessing is going to come to those who store up wisdom. Do we truly believe his promises that he will provide for us if we seek wisdom? And I mean his truth, his word, and putting it into practice. Well, let's just look, let's flash back to Matthew. And I'm just, I'm not saying all the things that apply, but just picking out little promises here and there, little words. Uh, I remember in Matthew 6, verse 25, and then in verse 33, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? And you know the rest of that passage. It talks about birds and plants and how, how he takes care of them. And then he goes on, But seek first his, king, his kingdom, and his righteousness. That's, that's putting his word into practice. And all these things will be given to you as well. Wow. Uh, that's awesome. Those are awesome promises. This is how we prepare uh, for difficulties. Let's go, back to, let's go back to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided. And the clouds let drop the dew. There's a picture of God. God used wisdom to create the world and the universe. Sometimes we look at the chaos and trouble in the world and more and more there's chaos, and we look at certain people and say, you're trying to stir up chaos, and it's not hard to believe. We see it, and we feel like things are falling apart. The world, the world is coming apart at the seams. Our nation is falling apart. Sometimes we look at things and we see that, and then we wonder what, what will become of us. And I've heard a lot of people say, what about my children and my grandchildren? You know, and those are valid questions. I mean, those are concerns. But we must remember, we serve the God who created the universe and the world and everything in it. 
and he's the one who holds it together. Uh, Jesus said that his Father in heaven still cares for all of creation. Moreover, he said that his kingdom is coming to set all things right, not just when he returns, but starting now, step by step, right? And we've heard Stephen and David talking about, um, you know, that, that battle, that Jesus' kingdom is coming to reverse chaos and restore Eden uh, to subdue the, take over and subdue the earth according to God's order. And Jesus, Jesus came and preached that. We heard it a lot in the book of Matthew. Do we truly believe that he is actively working through us and in the world to transform chaos into order? You know, when we would say, oh, everything's falling apart, chaos. Let's look at what Jesus said. I remember he said in Matthew 4, 17, when he began to preach, here is his basic message. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Do we believe that? The kingdom of heaven has and still is come near. And then in Matthew 13, verse 31, he, he said in a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants, and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So when that kingdom of God, it starts as a seed. It takes faith. To, but he said, it's going to grow big and take over and bring blessing. Right? He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough all through the dough, right? Do we believe that the kingdom of heaven is going to work all through the dough of the earth and its people? That's what Jesus said it will do. So do we believe it? All right, back to Proverbs. Let's look at the next section, Proverbs 3. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your side and will keep your foot from being snared. So much in there about protection, right? About God protecting. And we need protection now for different things, right? But I know there's so many concerns. You know, when, when wicked people gain power and threaten the righteous, we're tempted to fear and try to figure out how can we protect ourselves? What can we do? Should we store up guns and ammunition in case they come after us or our food? Should we physically fight if someone tries to arrest us for our beliefs? No, I'm not against 
owning guns, okay? But that's, that's not going to be very adequate protection for us. I'm, I'm going to say it. Um, Jesus says that wisdom should be our protection. And he told Peter, those who draw the sword will die by the sword. He's the one that told Peter at supper, get a sword. And they said, we've got two. He said, that's enough. (laughs) But then Peter used it later the same night and caused a lot of trouble. And Jesus had to heal a guy's ear. And then then he said, put your sword down. Those who draw the sword die by the sword. Look, if we are here on campus and there's a food shortage and gangs, roving gangs are coming around to steal food for themselves, I, I would much rather have a band of angels surrounding my family and my property than to take that job myself because there's a good chance I'm just going to die doing that. <laughs> just to be realistic, you know what I mean? I'm not big enough, but I know who is, right? And so I'm not saying don't buy a gun or whatever, but I am saying don't depend on that. Depend on the Lord. That's what he's saying, right? And, uh, you know, I'd like to see those people coming to us get saved. I'd like them to see, see them fall down with the power of God. I'd like us to be generous and say, you need food? Here's food. We've got an endless supply. I don't know. We, didn't, we only have a pile this big, but we keep giving it away and it keeps multiplying. I'd like to see that happen, right? Instead of sending sinners, giving them a direct ticket to hell, right? So that's what Jesus is talking about. But ultimately, I just know I'm not big enough to protect myself, but God is. Do we truly believe his promises to protect us? Jesus said this, Matthew 5, verses 11 to 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so, two things. He said, he's not promising that we're not going to be martyred or persecuted for our faith. Never made such kind of promises, okay? But he did say, rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. So, ultimately, we are not, our ultimate goal is not to protect our lives in this world. And those who sign up for Christianity need to understand that. Right? That, but, but also, these promises about protection are still true. Like, unless it's his will for us to be martyred, he's going to protect us. If we tr- but we should trust in him and not ourselves. Right? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All right, then uh, the next couple verses in Proverbs 3 say this. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. And, uh, you know, if we encounter shortages or economic collapse for whatever reason, 
Should we hoard our resources for ourselves and our families or share them with those around us? Jesus says that we should be generous when we are able to. If we prepare stores of provisions, part of it should be with the goal of helping others. Or if we find that we have some, in other words, instead of saying, I don't know what the future is and I don't really trust the Lord to provide, so I'm sorry, I'm going to keep this for myself for the future instead of helping to feed you today because I have enough for me and you. And, uh, you know, if Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, <laughs> right? I will give you what you need each day. He taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, right? Or give us each day our daily bread. So do we truly believe his commands to love and help others? Like that's putting his words into practice, right? And then uh, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you, right? All right, the last section in Proverbs 3 that I want to read is uh, starting at verse 29. Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they've done you no harm. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. Yeah, we can use to hear words like that in our society today. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. So how should we react to the ungodly around us? And how should we react to people who do wicked acts? How should we react to uh, injustice? How should we react when unrighteous leaders are elected? Should we mock them? Should we complain, complain, complain about them? Now, of course, we should speak against sin and unrighteousness. That's what Proverbs is doing right there. It's calling out sin and unrighteousness and saying, hey, that leads to death. Do what le righteousness leads to life. Right? So we speak the truth. Uh, Jesus went around and he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? So I'm not saying we shouldn't call out unrighteousness. We need to tell people to repent because if they don't, they're headed to hell. But see, that's the motivation. The motivation is love, right? If God has given us leaders and the Bible says that God has a hand in who's our leader, for whatever reason, it might be because the people in their with their wicked hearts have chosen wickedness, even though we didn't choose that. But if, if that is, then he's calling us to pray. Read 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're supposed to pray for our leaders and the result of it be that we lead quiet and peaceful lives and that all people in the world will be saved. So if those are two things that hinge on us praying for our leaders, we really ought to pray for our leaders 
whether we voted for them or not, right? And I've heard some prophecies about certain young female leader that says if my people will pray, she will turn around for good. And it's a prophecy. We'll see if it comes true. But it hinges on God's people praying. And, uh, and so Jesus says that he will bring blessings on those who walk uprightly and in righteousness. And he says that he will take care of the oppressed. He says that he will bring justice um, and that he will punish evil. Do we truly believe that he will bless the righteous and oppose the wicked? Do we truly believe that Jesus' kingdom will bring justice? Do we believe that he will be a just judge in the affairs of our lives, both great and small? Remember, he's called us to do things like forgive. He's called us to pray for authorities. He's called us to pray for our persecutors. Those were all in Matthew. And uh, also he said in chapter 10, verse 26 to 33, So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. I want you to think, as I read this, I want you to think about any kind of injustice you see in your own life. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's uh, in, a, in a situation in your family. Maybe it's, uh, it's what you see around us in our community. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed and nothing hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, he's promising, look, maybe I'm being patient here in this life, if he is, it's so that people can have a chance to be saved. But ultimately, the wicked are going to be punished if they don't repent in hell. And there's nothing anyone will do to stop it. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He's got all mine numbered. I don't know if he can find where they are, but they're all numbered. Either that or he's got an easier job counting them now than he used to. So, sorry. So, do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He's talking about justice here, okay? Taking care of you and providing justice, okay? So we can pray confidently. We can believe. So do we believe that he is a God who will bless the righteous and judge wickedness? So, let's trust the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. He's, he's in charge. And put his word into practice. He will be the solid and sure rock foundation for our lives through the coming storms. There are storms going to come. Storms have come in the past, right? And Storms will come in the future, and the Bible says bigger 
bigger ones will come like waves coming into the ocean, right? Uh, to the to the shore. But um, Jesus is Lord, and His kingdom is coming. Um, let's as we close. I just want to close with prayer. Um, none of us has completely put his words into practice, right? Not you nor me, but, but he's given us all grace and he's given us his Holy Spirit. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for wisdom, that you are wisdom personified and that you have given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, we just want to say, Jesus, forgive us where we have not obeyed your word, where we've not put it into practice, and that to our own detriment, and maybe to the detriment of the world around us. Please forgive us and cleanse us. And I just pray that every day we can come to you and seek more grace, to seek you more. Lord, would you reveal yourself as big in our eyes? and that we would fear you and revere you as Lord, as creator, as shepherd, as savior, as the judge of all things, and as the king of kings who will reign forever. May we dwell in your promises, and I pray your grace be at work each day to um, help us to grow in putting your word into practice, to seek you and to seek wisdom. Lord, we thank you. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are our helper. You are the one who is downloading that wisdom for us each day. Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will take what is mine and give it to you. All that the Father has is mine. And I give it to you. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Incline our ears to hear your word. Um, Put faith in our hearts. Grow our faith. Our trust in your word that is shown true by um, putting it into action. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.